Welcome to Two Player Take. I'm Jay. I'm Manasa, and we're a married couple from Texas who like to play board games from the two-player perspective. Today, we're reviewing Villainous, a two-to-six-player card game designed by Prospero Hall and published by Wonderforge. The game takes 30 to 60 minutes to play and contains elements of take-that mechanics, a lot of hand management, and features variable player powers that give each villain their own specific goals. And I'm excited to finally be reviewing this game. How long have we had this game? Oh gosh, um... December? A couple months, I want to say. So we found Villainous on sale for $25 on Amazon, thought it was a steal, picked it up, and our first copy was Bent to Hell. <laughs> uh, of course, Amazon, they like to ship things in the smallest, uh, smallest package possible. And uh, because of that, the corners were all bent up. And we said, hey, Amazon... You, you know, said... <laughs> I said, I need it, you know, okay, sorry. I need my games to be in perfect condition. I like keeping my components pristine. I like keep, I don't, I don't sleeve my cards. He doesn't even let me play the game, guys. <laughs> you can just look at it on the table and tell me what you want to do. <laughs> um, I like, I like my board games to be, if, I'm, if they're going to get beat up, it's going to, it's going to be from playing them. Not not from shipping, okay? I've had a few experiences where games have come in in beat-up condition, and I just want the, you know, I want the unboxing experience to be everything that I... Have drew. ever dreamed of. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wake up with cold sweats in the middle of the night uh, just thinking about the terrors of opening a box to see damaged <laughs> products. Um, anyways... You're doing we, a great job of selling yourself, babe. <laughs> we got in the first copy. It was bent to hell, so we... Talked to Amazon, we um, got a second copy, and we thought, hey. saying we, like I was involved in any of this. I talked to Amazon, I got a second copy, and I thought, hey, this is going to be cool. Like, we got two copies of Villainous, and, you know, in case some components get ruined, we can replace them with the next. But, irregardless, this this is going nowhere. Uh, We had to give it back. They eventually hounded us down for for the busted copy. But we were excited to open it up. Um, The one thing that I thought was kind of funky taking it out of the box was uh wonder forge uh, so most games are shrink wrapped right they got the clear plastic that you rip off and everything uh wonder forge decided to or what whoever's distributing whoever's shipping my game decided that these little circular stickers were going to do the job like the whole the box was just exposed. Oh, I and know then, what you're saying. Though. And then there's these circular stickers that kind of held the box together. So I spent probably 20 minutes just slowly peeling these little stickers off <laughs> to not ruin the the ink on the box or or, or anything. Because then he would have had to ship them back to Amazon. Hey Amazon, again. what the? <laughs> so. Um, after 20 minutes, we finally, you know, got the box open and, uh, you know, play the game a lot. I mean. Well, so to be fair, at first we played it just to play it. Mm-hmm. And then we decided that it was going to be the first game we were going to review. Yes. And then we played it a lot. Right. Um, and we haven't talked about it because we wanted to save it. Save ourselves save- for the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> save. Oh, man. We wanted to save our conversation mm-hmm. for the podcast. Yes. So when we really played through it, I have no idea what you think of it. 
Mm-hmm. I've said a couple of things, but for the most part, I've kept my opinions to myself. Um, but the, <laughs> you know, we've played the game, what, 20, 30 times? Easily. At least once with every villain and every combination of villains. I think almost every combination of villains. I never did get to make my spreadsheet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Boo-hoo. Um, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so Villainous is a very interesting game. Um, and I, I knew the theme was going to meld it together. And the, the basic premise of the game is you choose one of six villains that come with the game. Um, there is Captain Hook, Prince John, Jafar, the Queen of Hearts, Maleficent, and Ursula. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen Aladdin and the Little Mermaid probably when I was like five. And variations of Peter Pan. So so half of these villains were... I, I knew that they were Disney villains, but I didn't, you know, know the movies and, and, and know everything. So going through those decks were kind of interesting. But you pick a villain, you have a villain deck, and you have a fate deck. Your villain deck are the cards that you use um, to carry out your agenda. And the fate cards are the cards that your opponents use against you um, to stop you from completing your goals. Those are things like heroes their items and effects little one-time or one-off effects that happen um, to kind of stop you in your tracks so aside from those two you have a player board four locations on your player board and each location has four actions the actions you have gain power so you have tokens where you can gain power and the actions in each location will tell you how many power you can gain so in some Locations you can gain one power, other locations you can gain three power, and it's different in each location and it's different for each villain. You have play a card, which if you're in a location that has that action, you have the ability to play a card on that turn. Activate is to activate cards that have an action that you can activate. An activated ability. An activated ability. For anybody who's played trading card games, it's, you know, like tapping a card or flipping a card it just has a little symbol in the card where if you land on that location you can activate that card's ability um once so and then fate cards which are when you can fate an opponent so if you land on a location that has a fate card you can turn to an opponent and say fate symbol what did i say fate card it's a fate symbol to play a fate card (laughs) Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Sure. <laughs> so if you land, if you have a fate symbol mm-hmm. on your location Word. that you're on, will you let me speak? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, you can fate your opponent. So then you say, I'm going to fate you. You draw two cards from their fate deck, choose one, and you play that on your opponent. And then there's move an item or ally. So when you play an item or an ally onto your deck, Board, you play it to one location. If your location has the symbol to move an item or ally, you can move it to different locations on the board. And this is beneficial based on which villain you're playing. Certain Sometimes you have certain items that need to be in a certain location for you to win the game, or an ally is more beneficial in one location than another. So sometimes you want to move them around. 
Move a hero is pretty much the same thing, except instead of moving items or allies, you're moving heroes from one location to another. Again, you need to do this to win at times, or in some cases to vanquish, which is the next symbol. And vanquish is when you can essentially defeat a hero. Since you're playing as the villain, you're defeating the heroes. And then discard cards is the symbol that you use to discard your hand. You can discard your entire hand, you can just discard one card, and that gives you the opportunity to draw new cards at the end of your turn. And those are the only eight actions in the game. Each villain does not have every action. Each villain has a different set of actions um, You know, per location. Some villains don't have Vanquish. Some villains don't have Movie Hero. It kind of just depends on, on who you're playing. And, and it, it makes sense. Depending on who you're playing, the actions are going to fit the uh, goal of your villain and they're going to make sense with the locations and, and how you play. So in your villain deck, you have things like allies, which you can, like Manasa said, you can play to locations on your board. Your board is considered your, your realm, uh, whether there's heroes or allies, items, wherever they're at, your side of the table is your realm. Your realm. <laughs> that was really hard to say for some weird reason. Um, so your fate deck can only be played to your realm you know you couldn't play aladdin to uh ursula's realm for instance because that just wouldn't make any sense he would drown um so, <laughs> so anyways um from your villain deck you can play allies which have certain effects and can help you defeat heroes you can play items which you can attach to allies you can have effects which are one-time actions that you can use um, and there's also cards that are called conditions. Those are cards that you can play on your opponent's turn. If a condition is met off of your turn, you can play that. And that's usually, you know, kind of like a free fate action or gaining power. Um, and then the, the other unique card type in the game is curses, which Maleficent has. She's the only one who has curses and you know, it's, it's the bulk of her deck and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. So Aside from that, you are trying to complete your specific goal before your opponent. So each villain has uh, their own goals. We'll get into that a little bit later when we're talking about each villain and um, talking about, you know, which ones we like, which ones we don't like. And, you know, um, but the basic premise of the game is you have a villain token or a villain um, little statuette, <laughs> a statuette? marker. Statuette? It's not a statue. It's not huge. It's a little, you know, a little statuette. Is that the right word? <laughs> I don't think that's a word. Marker, tome. <laughs> I sound like an idiot. It doesn't matter. Uh, you have a representation of your villain, and it's at the beginning of your turn. You move your villain to a different location. You can perform the actions at that location uh, to advance your uh, strategy. Now, how heroes come into play is. Each location, two of those actions are, are can be covered up if a hero is at that location. So if I'm playing Jafar and Aladdin comes out or Abu or the genie or whoever, and my opponent plays that to my location or one of my locations, those two actions that they cover up, I cannot use. So it really forces you to take care of heroes or move them around or uh, change up your strategy. So that's how fate decks affect players. Uh, you use your villain deck to, again, vanquish heroes and carry out your agenda. Am I missing anything on how to play the game? 
The lock token. Oh, yes. The lock tokens. So the lock token is not used on every villain. Only some of the villains have the lock token. But basically what happens is the lock token is placed on one of their locations and it's indicated on the board which location the lock token has to be placed on. And then there's a certain criteria that you have to meet to unlock the location. And once that location is unlocked, then your villain can move to that location and take actions at that location. But until that location is unlocked, you can't use it. So you're only playing with three locations instead of four. Mm -hmm. And in the special case of Ursula, which we'll get into more, I'm sure, Hmm. one of her locations is always locked. So with Ursula, you're always playing with only three locations. Right. And uh, the game plays... Like most other card games, you um, play cards from your hand, you gain power, and this game is your resources. Uh, you battle, kind of, you know, defeat your enemies. And then uh, with this game specifically, you draw back up to four cards to complete your hand. So I think that about covers it for the overview of the game. Yeah, I think the coolest part about it, or I think what really drew me into the game when you told me about it, was that you're playing as a villain. Yeah. I think that's the coolest part, and I'm still not over it. It's really fun because with any Disney movie, you always have the good guys and the bad guys, and you're always rooting for the good guys who are constantly dealing with problems from the bad guys. But this game completely flips that narrative. Mm -hmm. And you're playing as the bad guys, and the good guys are the ones causing trouble. And you start rooting for the bad guys. Yeah. And (laughs) when when these heroes come up, like Peter Pan, and you're playing Captain Hook, you know, you're just like, all right, well. Must defeat (laughs) Peter Pan. (laughs) Gotta gotta get him. (laughs) Which goes against everything we are used to thinking. From our childhood of watching these Disney movies. Yeah. But while playing it, it makes sense. It It's, it's a so lot of fun. fun. Thematically, it's great. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the components in the game. Uh, we talked a little bit about the box and how they taped it. <laughs> which was You talked about the box and how they taped which it. Which was dumb. Everybody will agree. So I just want to generally talk about the, the component quality of the game. Um, so the component quality in the game is pretty good. Um, I have a couple problems with the cards. Um, they, the cardstock they used wasn't as thick as I think they should have used, especially for a game where you're running through your deck multiple times a game. Um, the cards can seem flimsy. Um, you know, I think they have a high tendency if they kind of run into, if the edge of the card hits something else that the cards can get dented easily. Um, They're not the most terrible cards I've ever used, but I I feel like the quality could be better. Um, There's a little cauldron in the game that you use, which I think is awesome, by the way, that you use to hold your power during the game, your power tokens. And, you know, it's... Well, not your power tokens. uh, Eventually they're mine. power tokens. Yeah, eventually they're mine. I mean... I usually get all the power anyway, so... This is a lie. (laughs) This is a blatant lie. Anyways, they hold the power tokens for the game. Uh, The cauldron is made out of uh, kind of a thin... Plastic. Cheap plastic. (laughs) Now, you know, if if they, you know, gave like a thicker, beefier component you know that's going to drive up the cost of the game so i get it and you're not you're never really touching it during the game so it doesn't really matter um the the quality of it in my opinion um because you know if they add in a beefier product then 
you know, shipping is going to be more expensive and games can be more expensive. So I don't really have a problem with that. But do know that uh, some of the components in the game are a little uh, cheap feeling. Um, however, the villain markers, tokens, whatever. <laughs> are legit. Uh, the little figurines that they include, there's six that you use to move from location to location. Those are fantastic. Those look great. The colors are, uh, they pop, they stand out. They're very thematic. Um, they're they're really fun to, to move around. You really feel like when you're picking up your marker and moving it to a different location that you're that you're making a decision. You're not really doing much, but you are making a decision, and it feels powerful to just set it down on the board. So, um, other than that, um, box is good. Rules are good. I mean, everything else component wise is fine. I really like the villain guides. So you get six villain guides with the game and one for each villain surprise surprise and the guide talks you through exactly what the objective is for that villain and in addition it also gives you a couple tips of the best strategy to use to make the most of your chances of winning with your villain and i always think that's really helpful um it's the first time i've actually seen a game do something like that and i really like that and I always read through them whenever we played because it helped me kind of get in the mindset of that character and know what I was setting up to achieve. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll touch on is the player boards. I like the player boards a lot. They're really thick material. Uh, the print quality is really nice. Um, again, the only takeaways are the card quality is a little less than what I would want it to be. And again, the cauldron's a little bit flimsy, but again, that doesn't really bother me. So... Um, as far as the art and graphic design goes, I I am absolutely blown away. Yeah. Um, they didn't just pull images from the Disney movies and stick them on cards. <laughs> they commissioned the art to be from scratch. Yeah. Um, it, it it's very true to what I remember from the movies. Um, as far as the characters and scenes and events go, uh, I think the art is probably my favorite thing about the game really art and theme yes i mean we're gonna get into theme a little bit later but the art and the graphic design for me make it very easy to navigate the game and to get immersed in the game and um, i feel like the iconography as well for the action symbols instead of just you know saying okay this is gain of power this is movie hero the iconography is very easy to follow and it, it expedites what could be a longer, more drawn-out game. So that's my opinion. I think it's pretty. <laughs> that's all just pretty. It's very pretty. Yeah, it's very shiny, yeah. Well, okay, anyways, the art's great. Their graphic design flows. It makes it makes the flow of information a lot easier to understand, which I think is very important, especially in a game like this uh, where you can get into a lot of analysis paralysis, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So... Um, Throwing all these fancy terms out there. I know. Uh, thematically, just like the art and the graphic design, the game knocks this one out of the ballpark. Um, you know, you put this these mechanics in any other theme, you know, it might work, but you're going to have a hard time doing that, and it's not going to have as much, you know, replayability and staying power, in my opinion. Uh, the theme of playing as a Disney villain, going up against heroes that you rooted for as a kid, 
is a twist that I, I did not know that I wanted in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I heard about this game when it first came out, um, I believe it was mid-2018, um, I knew that I wanted it. I knew that I wanted to play it. I knew that eventually I wanted to put it on my shelf. If if I, I Even if I knew I wouldn't like it. Even if I pulled out the game and was like, man, this sucks. You just <laughs> at, wanted it. At least it would have been pretty. You know, at least it would have <laughs> been like, oh, I can play as Jafar. Or, oh, I can play as Captain Hook. You know, um, that was just very interesting to me. So I think they did a really good job knocking this one out. Uh, being a very thematic game. Being a licensed product through Disney who will murder you if you ruin their stuff. Um, I think they did a really good job on it. I agree. The theme is really cool. And kind of the tagline on the box is the worst takes it all. And I love that. I I just, I mean, I already kind of touched on this, but I just really like playing as the villain. It's a really weird and fun twist. So in the spirit of villainous, I'm going to start the gameplay off with the cons, what I don't like about the game. <laughs> I so, see what you did there. A couple of uh, cons that you know I've realized about the game are that, again, from a two-player perspective, the gameplay can, can get bogged down with heroes very quickly. It's, it's possible to move your villain marker from one location to the next every other turn fading your opponent, putting a fate card in their realm, forcing them to deal with it. So it's very possible for every other turn for you to have to deal with yet another fate card, yet another fate card. Oh, there's a hero, there's an item. Um, so if, if you're, you know, if the cards don't fall quite right, you can find yourself getting crowded. Um, you agree? Disagree? I do agree. I guess you could make house rules to prevent that but it never really bothered me except for when i played as one specific villain <laughs> we're saving that for later <laughs> it's oh god <laughs> we're gonna get into that um yeah so i i think a good idea might be if in a two-player game specifically because with multiple players i think it, it works just fine because there's multiple targets but two players you just there's one person that you're using that take that action on um but the other person's also using it against just the same right. one yeah person. But, so but, it's equal but both players are just like getting crowded i mean that's the thing right but did you ever get crowded with heroes Yes. Leave out the one exception. <laughs> Leave out the one exception. Uh, Did you ever get crowded with heroes? No. And it got annoying, like really annoying. Right, like, but that's like part of the game. Borderline crowded from time no. to time. Okay, well, regardless. I don't agree with this. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm sure he got crowded on the times he lost. <laughs> uh, there's just moments that I think that uh, you can have a lot to deal with. Um, so maybe a possible idea, you know, maybe a rule change could be that in a two player game, you have to pay one power to play a fade action. No, <laughs> that way you are not just fading your opponent over and over and over again, having free reign because it does take a good bit of effort. 
to but get rid of heroes. I feel like it's balanced because your only objective is not fading the other person. At some point, you are going to stop fading to focus on your objective, your villain objective, and accomplishing that. So yes, you may fade a lot while you're waiting to get enough power or the cards you need to focus on your objective. But once you have that, you're more focused on your objective and accomplishing that than fading. Yeah. So I feel like it balances out because once that happens, the other person has the chance to clear the heroes off their board or they're busy fading you or then they're focused on their objective. So I don't think it's that big of an issue. Okay, well... Agree to disagree. <laughs> I think crowding's an issue. Uh, Monica does not. But... Thanks for summarizing that. <laughs> yeah, in a few words. Um, another thing that I feel the game can suffer from is something that I think a lot of people tend to try to stay away from, which is called analysis paralysis. Uh, the game has oh, a lot. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> the game has a lot of options for you to take. Um, you want to. Try to make wherever you move your villain the most efficient move possible. Where can I go to take the most efficient actions to advance my goals? And not only that, but you're, you know, if, if you can only play one or two cards, because some locations have two play card actions, most have one, some have none. And, and that's what leads to I really want to play this card from my hand, but I also really need power. So you're, you're taking a lot of time to think about what you want to do, which you could be doing during other players' turns, but you also still need to be engaged because you have to see what your opponent's, uh, or in this case, opponent, is doing um, to keep tabs on how far they are in uh, completing their goals. So I think there's been turns where I've sat there, Manas has sat there, and we've kind of just stared at our hands for a good 30 seconds before making a decision on what we wanted to play or staring at the board for a while trying to decide where to place that villain, which is fine. Um, but when when it happens a lot, when the game starts progressing to that point where you're trying to make the most tactical decision possible, um, I think it can slow it down. So. so I guess I'm in the minority here, but I love that part of it. One of my favorite things was sitting there, especially when I knew I had everything I needed to fulfill my objectives and potentially win the game. I love being able to sit there and think four, five, six moves ahead and figure out exactly what I needed to do, what order I needed to do it in, and the best way to do it to win. So I I really like that part of it. Okay. And yeah, I liked it from time to time, but I think just That's, don't like thinking too much. Thinking hurts my head. <laughs> uh, sorry. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's just uh, sometimes it makes my brain hurt. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, another thing that we will have to agree to disagree on. Um, I, I think I think it hurts the game. Um, but I think it, uh, like you said, it is a player preference. Um, and, it, and it does allow for some strategic... Um, triumphs during the game when you can take that 30 seconds to a minute to really think about the the order of the cards you want to play and really execute that perfect turn that makes your opponent just glare at you from the other side of the table by opponent i mean manasa of course um so 
some cards in the game I feel need further clarification. Yes. Either in the rules or on the card. However that happens, I think they need further clarification. Uh, the one example, there are multiple examples, but I'm only going to get into one right now. The one example I can think of is called Necessary Sacrifice in Jafar's deck. It costs no power. It says discard an item in your realm, which technically is your whole board. Your 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 side, where your allies are, and the hero side, where your, where your fate cards are. So it says discard an item or an ally and gain three power. Now, obviously, to discard an ally, you have to discard one from your side of the board. But on the fate side of your board, your heroes can have items attached to them. Specifically, in Jafar's realm, it's an item called Wish that you can attach to a hero that gives them two power. So... You know, by all, you know, if we're going like by the book here, according to that card, you can discard an item card from a hero and gain three power and pay nothing, which is super overpowered, super ridiculous. And I know the intent that the designers had when they made the game of, you know, it's called necessary sacrifice. You're supposed to be sacrificing something that is supposed to benefit you. But I just feel like, you know, if they're, if they're going to make another version of this game or maybe a rule clarification and an expansion um, that they can go into some of these cards that people have had a people had some trouble with. See, I feel like, and I know this is something that you feel like is unclear, and I would I, I agree to an extent it is, but I feel like you answered your own question. It's called necessary sacrifice, so you have to get rid of an item on your side of the board. Getting rid of one that's attached to a hero is not a sacrifice for you. That's helping you and you're getting power. So I feel like the name of the card answers that question, but I do also see where it's still unclear. Mm -hmm. That's why house rules are so great. Um, you can kind of just have a game, not really be sure what a rule does and then say, okay, let's agree to do this from this moving forward. I mean, I felt like <laughs> the first time I played, we never saw that agreed card. on necessary sacrifice. By the way, <laughs> to this day, uh, it's not like we're going to go to a villainous tournament anytime soon where there's a cash prize. Right now, <laughs> talking about no, this is what the card says. So, um, but they could they could use some work in that area, just kind of uh, you know clarifying some things. But I think that happens with any game. Um, we have community feedback that um, kind of uncovers a few things that you didn't realize in the playtesting phase so um there are three villains in the game that have very similar strategies i don't want to say strategies very similar strategies <laughs> <laughs> that you take to win the game captain hook ursula and jafar all rely on getting through your deck as fast as possible to get specific items to essentially jumpstart your end game. Um, for Captain Hook, it's the Neverland map, I believe that's what it's called, that you play to unlock your last location. For Jafar, it's finding the lamp and the scarab pendant. And for Ursula, it's finding the trident and the crown. You can you can 
you know, build up your power, build up your allies and things like that as you try to search your deck for these. But those three decks are specifically meant to, okay, I don't have these cards yet. I got to get these cards as quick as possible. And the villain guides even say it. Hey, bro, if you don't have these cards, what are you doing? <laughs> get those cards. It, it pretty much makes a point to say that you have to get those cards as quickly as possible. Whereas Maleficent, Prince John, and Queen of Hearts, their decks are a lot more balanced so that no matter what cards you're getting, they may not be the cards that you want, but you can always do something with them to advance your overall goal. You're not really waiting on one specific card over another. So I think that's another weakness that the game has um, where half the villains kind of feel similar in play style. I would agree. Um, to an extent, I think there are certain cards that you're trying to get out, even with Maleficent, Queen of Hearts, and Prince John. So with Prince John, the objective is to collect 20 power, and there are specific cards in his in the villain deck that will help you get more power. So I think once you know that, your kind of your objective is to discard and get more cards in your hand to try and get those cards out as soon as possible. With Maleficent, you want to get curses out as quickly as possible. With Queen of Hearts, you want to get wickets out as quickly as possible. So I think there is that element to an extent with the other three villains as well. But I do see where it's more so with Jafar, Captain Hook, and Ursula. Because the your game play is just very slow and there isn't much you can do until you have those specific cards mm-hmm. out. And there are cards in those decks that allow you to move through your deck faster. Yes. So aside from taking the discard cards action, which allows you to discard any amount of cards in your hand, and then, of course, at the end of your turn, you're drawing back up to four. Um, aside from that action, you have cards in there that allow you to search through your deck or flip cards until an item pops up, things like that. So um, aside from that, let's get into what we like about the game. I feel like we've picked on it enough. <laughs> so um, do you want to start? What do you like most about the game? I like that you're, I guess, trying to achieve multiple goals at the same time. You know, you're trying to meet your objective, fulfill your objective to win the game, but you're also trying to deter your opponent from fulfilling theirs. And those are very, those are two very different focuses. So it's not like, oh, while you're working on, you know, meeting the goals of your objective, it'll automatically deter your opponent. It won't at all. If you're only focused on your objective, then you are not focused at all on your opponent. So there is a lot of balancing you have to do in the game to make sure that you're focusing on yourself, but also focusing on your opponent at the same time. Um, Things you have to keep in mind is, you know, you're always looking, you're always double checking what your opponent's objective is to remember so that when you're looking at their board, you can see how close they are to getting it and what you need to do is, so if you're seeing that they're very close to getting it, you might want to focus more on fading to kind of deter them from getting there. And so I think that is my favorite thing about the game. And I think it makes sense if you haven't played all the villains or if you haven't played the specific villain that your opponent is playing, that before you start the game, not only should you read through your villain guy, but you should read through theirs as well. 
That way you can understand what they're doing because otherwise they're going to be like, all right, well, I'm playing this and I'm playing this and I'm playing this. And it's like, all right, cool, whatever. I'm just going to be over here doing me like you do you. You can't do that. You have to be paying attention to what they're doing because if you don't pay attention, I mean, you, you, you still, will lose. You might win. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, you probably will lose. You do need to be paying attention to what your opponent's doing. Um, it's all about reacting to what they're doing. So, and that's, I, I really like that about the game. Um, I think that kind of leads into one of the things that I like about the game, which is every villain's strength is counteracted nicely by the cards that are in their fate deck. So, for instance, uh, Queen of Hearts, sorry. Um, yeah, I guess let's go there. Queen of Hearts has the effect of minimizing heroes so that instead of blocking two actions on a location they can block one your fate deck can enlarge heroes which allows them to block three actions instead of two so whatever your villain deck is good at you know that your fate deck is going to be good at stopping that Uh, for instance when you play jafar your whole purpose is to hypnotize the genie and get the lamp to the sultan's palace Now, that lamp obviously is an item that you have to gain control of on your side of the board and get to the palace, but there are about four cards in your fate deck that when played to the board, their ability, for instance, Aladdin, Abu, is to take uh, take the lamp or take an item from that location. So when your opponent plays that card, they can play it to the lamp's location and take that, and you won't get it back until you defeat them. So I I like the balance between your villain deck and your fate deck, and I think those mingle really well. I forgot to mention something that I don't like about the game. Okay. And this Little is some- late. <laughs> well, make time for it. All right. So I feel like this is something that we kind of debated. So I'm really curious to hear what you think about it. Yeah. But I always felt from the very beginning that the heroes are not well matched. And you disagreed with me. So, well, let Mm. me clarify. So I always felt that specific heroes played better against others. Nope, not heroes, villains. (laughs) Sorry. Game's Um, called villainous, Monica. (laughs) I mean, do your research. God. Embarrassing. (laughs) You can leave now. All right. (laughs) This this podcast is now called One Take. (laughs) One Player Take, where I... uh wallow in sadness (laughs) (laughs) anyway so i always felt that certain villains played better against other villains and they were well matched whereas in some cases the villains were really skewed and i feel like this because i have notes but per each game that we played and i feel like my notes really prove that but i'm really curious to know whether you agree with me or not because when we were playing you did not I, as I played more of the game, I saw how different villains interacted. And there were a few cards in a few villains' decks that could do better when matched up against other villains. But for the most part, I don't think that villains have matchup issues. I don't think that inherently if you play... Ursula against Queen of Hearts versus Ursula and Maleficent. Okay, or whatever. You're, you're talking about one specific villain there. Well, I'm, I'm saying in general, villains don't have matchup issues. 
Um, I You're think if, wrong. I think if you can also some villains that have different actions, right? But those actions are like every villain has a fade action. They have multiple fade actions, and fade actions are literally one of the only things that you can do to affect your opponent. Uh, other things that you can do that don't really affect your opponent but can um, assist you are condition cards. So if for some reason your opponent's deck is more well suited to trigger your condition, then maybe there's something there. But I don't think inherently that there are better matchups than others. The last thing I'll say that I really enjoy about the game is you do have a very specific goal, but there are multiple ways to pull it off. Um, even down to specific goals like Captain Hook, where you where Peter Pan comes onto the board, you have to move Peter Pan to the Jolly Roger location and defeat him there. Seems pretty basic, but there are multiple ways to use your allies to defeat him. There are multiple ways to move Peter Pan, and there are multiple ways to um, give yourself the best shot to do it quickly. So there are multiple avenues to victory, even though there's only one condition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got to say well, about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking. Um, no, I do. I, I agree with you because the strategies you use can change the game every time. So it really doesn't get boring unless you play it 30 times in the span of two months. <laughs> and then you want to break. Yes. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the gameplay um, in general. Um, specifically with this game, since you have six different options as villains, we thought it might be best to kind of go into a little bit about what we think per each villain and our experience playing them. So let's start off with Jafar. So Jafar's objective is that he must unlock the Cave of Wonders, play the magic lamp, hypnotize the genie, and move the magic lamp to Sultan's palace. The way that he does that is he has cards in his deck um, called Hypnotize. Um, he can pay power equal to a hero's power to defeat and then control that hero. So he does that with the genie. Um, there's a card called uh, Scarab Pendant that he plays to unlock the Cave of Wonders. Um, so he has to do that first. Yes, before playing the genie there because as part of the rules of the game, you cannot play anything to a location that is locked. Um, Wait, there's some cases where you can, though. You just yeah. can't do anything with it. It's just there. <clears throat> yeah, like if someone's already at that location and the location gets locked or is played there when it's locked by some special effect, those items, allies, heroes, whatever, cannot be moved until right. that location's unlocked. Um, so my thoughts on Jafar. I love Jafar. Not just because of this game, but he's my favorite Disney villain. So, of course, I played him first, and I played him like 10 times. Um, but I like him a lot because he has multiple ways to defeat heroes. He has a decent amount of allies in his deck. He has the hypnotized cards, which can defeat the heroes and make them your allies. And he has a lot of good effects that basically allow you to defeat him if you have enough power. Um, I do think hypnotize is a little too powerful. Jafar is insanely powerful. Yeah. Let me let me just say that Jafar is is the most powerful villain in the game. Um, there are the other villains come close, but Jafar is by far. <laughs> Jafar is by far. <laughs> um, far, the, far. Far, far. <laughs> no, <laughs> that cannot become a thing. <laughs> Jafar needs to be respected. <laughs> 
Um, he turned he turns into like a hundred foot snake. Like, do not make fun of Jafar. Um, I so, mean, Voldemort had a snake too, but but did he turn into one? We're not talking about Harry Potter, or this podcast would go on for hours. Anyways, hours. Um, is a little too powerful because not only can you defeat a hero, but you can take control of it. And again, like we said, uh, I think he's overpowered in general. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Jafar was one of the first villains, was the first villain you played as, and he drove me absolutely bonkers. (laughs) Absolutely bonkers. (laughs) Good to know that we've uh, immediately moved to the United Kingdom, so... Um, I think the important things to keep in mind with Jafar is you have to get the genie out as soon as possible. Getting the genie out gets the magic lamp out because as soon as the genie is played, you have to search through your villain deck to get out the magic lamp. Search through your fate deck to get out the magic lamp. (laughs) Other way around. As soon as you play the magic lamp, you have to find the genie and play him. So you want to, your objective is to find the scarab pendant, but it's also to find the magic lamp. So once you play that item, the genie comes out, um, thus allowing you to try My and defeat. backwards. Yes. Anyway, uh, you want to get the magic lamp out as quickly as possible. And then the most important thing to remember, which is what I forgot and why I lost when I played as Jafar, is to make sure you have enough power to hypnotize the genie. I was so focused on fading you because you were playing as queen of hearts and I was thinking about that and I was thinking about getting the genie to the right location and getting him to Sultan's palace and all kinds of other stuff. And I completely forgot that I needed to have enough power to hypnotize the genie because you can attach wish to the genie, which increases his power. And then if he's in the same location as the magic lamp, that also increases his power. So you kind of have to stock up on your power to be able to play that final end game to win. And Jafar's one of the villains where you have to still have won by the beginning of your next turn. You have to start your t- he's one of three villains where you have to start your turn with the victory conditions on your board. Thank you. That sounds much better. Yes. Um, so for me, that was what I forgot. I always forgot to make sure that I had enough power to hypnotize the genie. Because if I had, mm-hmm. I would have won. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't. So yeah, Jafar is very overpowered. Um, he is super, super fun to play. Not my favorite to play, but um, he's uh, definitely the most powerful in my opinion. So... Uh, you mentioned the Queen of Hearts. What do you like about the Queen of Hearts or dislike? First of all, <laughs> while you think about it, uh, the Queen of Hearts objective is that uh, she must play and convert card guards into wickets, move them as needed so she has at least one wicket at each location in her realm, and play take the shot. So card guards can be used as allies to attack heroes, but as soon as you convert them into wickets, they are stationary but you have to convert them into wickets because when you play the card take the shot you have to calculate all the power between your wickets and any items attached to them and then you draw the top five cards of your villain deck and if your power is higher than the power cost of those top five cards you immediately win the game so deciding when to convert your card guards into wickets is a huge part of the strategy and i think that's what makes queen of hearts a really 
who I thought was going to be a very boring character, actually one of my top three to play. Really? Yeah. I liked playing as Queen of Hearts, but she definitely wasn't one of my top three. I think for me, the takeaway with Queen of Hearts was it's very luck of the draw (laughs) because you're drawing cards. You you like what I did there? Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, heroes really mess up Queen of Hearts. So if she gets faded a lot, it she takes a hit, yes. um, and it it affects her gameplay a lot, in my opinion. So you have to really make that decision of whether you're going to turn your card guards into wickets or utilize them to get rid of your heroes mm-hmm. or defeat the heroes. Because um, I lost when I played as Queen of Hearts against Prince John. Um, but that's because I was focusing on fading Prince John and fading Prince John really does nothing. And we can get into that when we talk about Prince John. But, and you kept fading me. So I had all of these heroes on my deck, which completely affected my ability to be able to do anything as Queen of Hearts. So I think heroes really mess up Queen of Hearts. So you really got to make sure you're defeating heroes quickly and not letting them build up. Um, but I do... I guess it's fun with the wickets and taking the shot. It's not my favorite thing. I feel like it's kind of anticlimactic. It's meh. I mean, it's an all or nothing. It's it's part of the reason I like her because um, she has plenty of card guards in her deck to be expendable. The other allies that she has are useful. And then you're kind of just taking this chance where everything else is calculated, you know, like, oh, I'm a villain. Everything is cold and calculated. Queen of Hearts is just like, all right, I'm just going to take this shot and see what happens. Is <laughs> like, that how Queen of Hearts sounds I don't in know. Your I head? haven't seen the movie. <laughs> I have not seen Alice in Wonderland. So um, Travesty. shame me all you want, but uh, I have Travesty. thick skin. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, one, it's one of the mechanics I like a lot about her is that you don't you can set yourself up for victory by building up your power but you don't know those top 5 cards could be very expensive cards that cost a lot of power and you could shoot yourself in the foot now you don't lose the game if you don't get the shot you just you, you can have shoot to... yourself in the foot by taking the shot <laughs> <laughs> yes yes you can um i think it's a very tense moment um because you don't know when to pull the trigger and when you do, it's kind of like, oh, I could have waited a few more turns to, to get more power. But anyways, besides the point, it is it is fun to play. I think she's uh, is good for creating tense moments. Um, now you mentioned Prince John. Yes. Um, so- and you mentioned the fact that allies don't really, or sorry, heroes don't really matter to him. Why do you say that? Prince John's objective is to start his turn with 20 power. Yes, he's one of the heroes that... Damn, He's one of the villains <laughs> that has a starting your turn with a certain victory condition to win. So, so in my opinion, Prince John is probably one of the easiest villains to win as because you can just sit there and just focus on getting power and do nothing else. And heroes don't really affect him all that much because one of his locations only has three actions and all three of them are on your side of the location so 
playing a hero card to that location doesn't cover up any actions. And one of the actions at that location is to gain three power. So you have another another location that lets you gain two power. So you can literally just go between these two locations and constantly gain power. Heroes don't really affect Prince John all that much. So getting faded is not really a big deal. And you have the ability, you have a lot of cards to move heroes off of your realm. So what you can do is there's a card that you can play that card to move a hero to the jail, which is the location where there it doesn't cover any actions. And you can just move all the heroes to the jail and then they're no longer on the board. Even if they are on the board, they don't matter. And one of the effects that can be played on Prince John is taking from the rich. Is that what it's called? Yes, taking from the rich. So when uh, when that effect is played, and it's in the fate deck, but when that effect is played, the opponent takes three of your power and places it on one of the heroes that's been played on the board. And once that hero is defeated, you get that three power back. And so the goal with Prince John, I think, is to always have more than 20 power because since you have to start your next turn with 20 power, if you have, let's say, 25 power after defeating a hero, then even if your opponent fates you, it's not as likely that they're going to take away enough power for you to not be able to win at the start of your next turn. Right, and Prince John has two hero cards in his fate deck that take four power from you, and then Robin Hood... Um, who's of course the main hero in his fate deck, his ability is to make it to where every time you would gain power, you gain one less. So in, in a right combination, you would have to deal with heroes and pay more attention. But I do agree that for the most part, you can ignore heroes unless specific ones come up. Um, but there is an interesting balance when playing Prince John um, in deciding when to save power and when to spend it. I think the best way to do it is to Spend power right at the beginning to play allies and effects that give you power on your turns and then stock up from there on out. Right. Um, let's talk about Maleficent. Yes. All right. Let's talk about the cover girl <laughs> of the uh, villainous. She's on the she's on the box. She's like the, the silhouette. It's Maleficent. Oh. Okay. We're, we're making discoveries here. <laughs> um so Maleficent, um, I played her two or three times. I don't have a lot to say about her other than she's she's probably one of the more she's probably the most balanced experience between being able to utilize all the cards in your hand and have them be effective against fate cards and also have those fate cards be detrimental to what you're doing. I think there's a really good balance and a really good flow to playing Maleficent and she doesn't have any necess- she doesn't necessarily have any strengths, but she doesn't have any glaring weaknesses. Like her curses, she has four specific let me curses. Pa- let me stop you for a second. Okay. Because I'm sure everybody's really confused. Mhm. Because they don't know what Maleficent's objective is. I was going to get there. Maleficent's objective (laughs) is to play curses and move them as needed. So she has at least one curse at each location in her realm at the start of her next turn. Yes. Now, you should tell everybody what the four curses are. I'm not going to tell you what the four curses are. (laughs) You just need to know that there are four different curses that have different effects. Um... 
some of them being that you can't move Maleficent to the location of that curse or it's or it disappears. Another one is, you know, if a hero is played to that location of a certain power, it disappears. So you have to be smart in how you place your curses and how you move them. Um, but like I was saying before, overall, I think the balance is... Um, I think she is the most balanced in the game. Well, what I like most about the curses, and Maleficent's probably one of my favorite to play as, um, is that the curses affect her too. Even though they're in her deck, they're not just there to help her. They work against her as well. Because like you said, with some of the curses, if you play it to that location, you can't move there. Or if you do, then you have to discard the curse. So you have to really think about where you're playing the curse, if you're going to need to go to that location, if that's the curse you want to play to that location. And in some cases, you know, it's if you play the curse of this location, then you can't play a hero at that location. Or if the curse is played here and a hero is played to that location, you have to discard the curse. So what I found to be the best strategy playing as Maleficent was to play multiple curses to one location and specifically playing ones that you have to discard if Maleficent moves to that location, all of them to one location, and then moving them to each location when you're getting closer to end game. Mm -hmm. So that way you're really keeping yourself from having to go to only one location, but you're leaving the other three locations open for you to move to freely. She definitely has a lot of options to um, try and secure the victory, but um, like... Monisa was saying the curses also can be a detriment to yourself, which makes them interesting and dynamic. Now, I know you mentioned Captain Hook, but I want to end this on a positive note. So let's not talk about Captain Hook right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the star of the show, Ursula. So Ursula's objective is that she must play the trident and the crown, move them as needed so that she has them at her lair and defeat King Triton. So the crown and the trident are items in her villain deck that she has to bring out. Uh, when she brings out the trident, uh, you automatically, just like the genie with the lamp, you have to find King Triton, attach the trident to him, defeat him, you get the item back, and then you have to eventually get those items back to her lair, start your turn with those at her lair, and then you win the game. So as I kind of mentioned earlier, one of the biggest issues, then there's two of them, but the biggest issue with Ursula is the lock token never leaves her realm. So you have the lock token on the lair and it can move to the shore. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. It's uh... it's the palace. Palace. So, right. so with Ursula, the lock token never leaves her realm. You start with it on the palace and it can be moved from the palace to Ursula's lair using a card in the villain deck called Change Form. And it can be moved back from the lair to the palace. So you're always playing with only three locations. And on top of that, the second big problem with Ursula is she does not have the option to vanquish heroes. Mm -hmm. So the way that you defeat heroes with Ursula, and this is thematically genius. Mm -hmm. Works fine thematically. <laughs> <laughs> so to defeat heroes 
in Ursula's realm, you have to play a binding contract, which you have six of in your villain deck. And you have to pay power to play a binding contract on a hero. And the binding contract says the hero has to be moved to a specific location to be defeated. And there's only six binding contracts in your deck. So you're, you build up heroes very quickly mm-hmm. when you play as Ursula. Yeah, and two of those, so four of those binding contracts are for the locations that are always unlocked. And then there's one in each location that is either unlocked or locked, being the palace or her lair. So if you want to think about it, there are only four binding contracts that you know for a fact that if you have them and use them, you'll be able to move people to that location. So if you have a binding contract that is attached to a hero and it says, you know, move the hero to the palace to defeat it, then and the palace is locked, you first have to unlock that location, you know, play the binding contract or have it played beforehand, and then move that hero, assuming that your opponent doesn't fate you and play um, a card that changes that lock token on you um, between turns. So, Or play a Dinglehopper or Snarfblat, which adds additional conditions to the hero and the ability to defeat them. Mm-hmm. So one of them says uh, pay, an, pay an additional three power on top of the two power cost for a binding contract, making it crazy expensive. Um you know, so everything in your fate deck is really working against you. Um, Ursula only has two allies, being Floatsum and Jetsum. Um, they have four power, which is fine, but they shouldn't have a vanquish action. Vanquish action, so she can't use them to defeat a hero right off the bat, even if she wanted to. They do have card abilities that say any hero in their location can get moved to an adjacent location. So. They're really just played to help expedite the movement of heroes. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're not really given a lot of leeway on how you have to go about things. We have never won, either of us, playing Ursula. And we've played Ursula a lot. Yes. Um, Monica played Ursula six seven eight times when we first got the game because she really wanted to play as ursula that was like her favorite villain you know when we first started and then you know mine was jafar so i was playing the most overpowered villain versus the weakest villain so you can you know and i thought i was you know i thought i was great you know at, at the game i was like man i'm so good at this i'm winning all the time and i'm just sitting here fuming because he's never played as ursula so he doesn't understand the what i'm dealing with you don't understand the struggle what you deal with in the streets <laughs> And so he... (laughs) In the seas. (laughs) (laughs) So then he's finally... He's tired of playing Jafar. And I'm just sitting here determined to win as Mm -hmm. Ursula against Jafar. Um, And I, on the other hand, haven't played as Jafar yet. So I have no idea how overpowered Jafar is. Mm -hmm. So finally, Jay says, okay, you know what? Next game, I am playing as Ursula. You play as Jafar. Because in his mind, the reason I was losing is because he was better at the game than me. Still true to this day, but we'll no. we won't focus on that. Um, so we switch, and he cannot win as Ursula, and so then it becomes this pattern of Jay constantly playing as Ursula because he's determined to win as Ursula. And at one at some point, we finally had to put Ursula to rest. Yes, and, and we move on. We've both come within a turn of winning with her 
but you really do need the right conditions because if you get bottom decked, which you know basically means if, if the items that you need with Ursula are at the bottom of your deck and they take the entire game to get to the bottom um, just to get the items that you need, just by luck, you are at a huge disadvantage. You're already at a disadvantage with Ursula because she sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get bottom decked, you are, it's basically impossible to win. But the opposite of Ursula, in my opinion, which is the character that I think is the most fun to play as, is Captain Hook. I think Captain Hook is such a, there's, there's so much going on. When you play as Captain Hook, I feel like I'm having a party. <laughs> on my side of the table. Like, there's so much going on. You have pirates and all these other allies in his deck. You have so much firepower because your one goal as Captain Hook is to have Peter Pan played to the board, move Peter Pan over to the Jolly Roger and defeat him there. But first you have to unlock Hangman's tree. Yes, he's one of the villains where you have a locked location. You have to find a specific item in your deck to unlock that location. But regardless if it's locked or unlocked... As soon as your opponent fates you and Peter Pan comes up, he has to automatically be played. And he has eight power. So he's not easy to defeat. But Captain Hook does have a hell of a lot of allies. He does. So I mean, he has an entire ship. Yes, you have a lot of firepower there. Uh, some of the allies are pretty basic. Some of them have effects. Um, there's just so much going on with Captain Hook. Right. And so... What you can do once Peter Pan shows up, and even though he has eight power, you can continue to fate Captain Hook and attach Pixie Dust to Peter Pan, which continues to increase his power. But it's really not that much of a deterrent because you have so many allies as Captain Hook that all you have to do is strategically continue to place allies at the Jolly Roger. And so you have a ton of power there. And basically, as soon as Peter Pan gets to the Jolly Roger, you should be able to defeat him. Mm -hmm. And Captain Hook has the ability to play these items from his deck that add actions to locations. So even if your opponent is playing... A bunch of heroes to your location you can stack these items on your side and still have three four five actions that you can take um, even when they're covering it up now there are a there is a lot of um you know challenge to playing with captain hook because his fate deck does have a lot of cards that really deter you from what you're doing but for the most part um your your board there's always something going on it's always busy you know you always there's always like five six eight cards on your side of the board that you're that you're dealing with it's like oh, okay I, mean, I can move to this location and take all these actions and you can move those items around when you don't need them at that location anymore he just has a lot of flexibility and he's just he's just a fun guy yeah, and one of the strategies with Captain Hook, and I think we both did this on separate occasions, was to keep allies in hand because a lot of the fake cards you play as when you fake Captain Hook is to take allies off of his board. And so one of the strategies is to always keep fate, or I'm sorry, to always keep allies in hand so that way you always have an ally to play even if Peter Pan's power keeps increasing so you're able to defeat him no matter what. Because mm -hmm. I think we both kind of did that at a time where we would hold on to allies and, you know, it would be, you would be about to win, about to defeat Captain Hook. Oh, 
about to defeat Peter Pan and I would say, oh, well, I'm going to fate you and I would fate you and get rid of one of your allies. And I would think, OK, that's it. You don't have enough. You don't have enough power. And you'd say, well, actually, I have this other ally in my hand. So now I'm going to play that. Right. But what I thought was really interesting, and this is kind of bringing Ursula back up again, I apologize. <laughs> um, but I played as Captain Hook versus you playing as Ursula. And I won as Captain Hook. And that game was probably the most evenly matched it could have been because the Neverland map was the last card mm-hmm. in your deck. So I had so much time to get everything going for Ursula because you were not getting the Neverland map. And until you get that, you can't unlock Hangman's tree and you can't move Peter Pan anywhere. And that was probably as evenly matched as we were going to get. And even then, Ursula lost. (laughs) The moral of this story, of this podcast, and and the story behind this game is that if you play as Ursula... You will lose. You enjoy pain. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, final thoughts on the game? I like it. And I love playing it from the two-player perspective. I've had a lot of fun playing it from the two-player perspective. But we also have some family coming into town in a couple weeks. And I'm really excited to play it with more people and kind of see what that dynamic looks like to play the game with more than just the two of us (laughs) (laughs) yes we have played it a lot i think from a two-player um you know experience we've we've pretty much gotten our money's worth um i do think it's a very fun game i think uh again thematically artistically it is fantastic it's a beautiful game it looks great on your shelf and it's uh I, i think it's a definite uh definitely a game that i would recommend you have as part of your collection, um, it you know it has a few balancing issues. Uh, I feel like there's a few things they could do better, but I think if you know who you're playing and know who your opponents are playing, then you're going to have a really good time. And I think the game really shines in the thematic aspect of it. And honestly, I'm really excited to see what kind of villains they bring out if they decide to do an expansion. You know, there's Scar. Uh, I think there's Hades from the Hercules movie. Um, just a whole slew i mean it's disney they own everything they could literally just bring out like marvel villains <laughs> not that they would but um you know so i'm really curious to see what wonder forge does moving forward um and I, I think the game is really solid yeah pro tip if you really want to get into the mood play the soundtrack of the movie your villain <laughs> is from yep while you play the game exactly so not that we did that every time every time every time yeah so thanks for tuning in to listen to our review of villainous if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast um at this point you can find us on podbean itunes and the google play store um you can also check out things that we're doing now and in the future at our website at stopdroptabletop.com you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at stopdroptabletop we hope you enjoyed our two-player take